Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to episode 153 of Agitators Anonymous. This is Alan Abril. You are very welcome. Are we near March the 1st yet? Are you feeling foolish? Yes, indeed. Well, today's episode is an interview with um, Matt Bacon. Um, he does a thing called Bacon's Bits. Uh, so you can have Matt Bacon at Bacon's Bits underscore. Um, it says on his Twitter bio, he is the head of Dropout Media, a record label executive, an all-American sweetheart and listens to the swans. Now, I would take the last two with a little pinch of salt, but I've worked with him at Prophecy Productions, at Metal Blade, various other things. Uh, Matt's a very interesting guy, uh, very well-spoken, lots of interesting opinions, especially about the music industry. He helps manage bands. He's going to get into all that kind of thing. We disagree in a few things. Um, I'm not sure they actually really get teased out properly in the course of this interview. Um, I think we're sort of talking at cross-purposes over each other. Um, I would be loath to say it's a little bit of the micro and the macro, as in I'm trying to... I think over the course of the discussion, talk about broader topics and Matt is being very specific about um, scene politics, which I totally understand. But I think we kind of I'm not sure if we get to the number of it. You be you be the um, judge and jury on that one. However, it's an interesting chat. We get into all sorts of things. As you can see at the start, we talk about Chinese spy balloons, which sort of dates it to a bit over a month ago. Um, at the last few episodes, you will know that I've been talking about the new Primordial album, all that kind of stuff. So that's been the kind of only spy balloon on my particular radar. Um, but yep, yeah, it's an interesting chat. Matt is an interesting guy. You can go and follow the links underneath for all the sorts of descriptions of his various work and all that kind of stuff. If you're in a budding band out there and you think you need someone to give you uh, some advice on a leg up into the industry or that kind of stuff, Matt is your guy. Um, I can say from the start, the podcast is sponsored by Metal Blade uh, Records, 40 years of metal history. They will be releasing the new Primordial album on in September. Um, and if you fancy 
for example, a cool copy of the last Primordial album. It comes in five, ten inches um, in a special kind of Hessian box, the kind of which box bag, the kind of which Irish people would have, of course, carried their potatoes in once upon a time. Um, you can head over to IndieMerch.com slash Metal Blade um, and you can use the promo code AA2023. That's the year we are in, apparently. And you can use that promo code and you will get 10% off all your orders. The links will be in below in the description. And the second sponsor I've got to mention before we get into it with Matt is... Um, it's really in relation to backdrops. You're probably, maybe you're in a band, maybe you need backdrops for, I don't know, all sorts of things. You're doing some kind of exhibition. However, all Primordial's backdrops, the huge ones we use, six metres by six metres for festivals, properly fireproofed. They all come with hanging, um, you know, those eyelets, all that kind of stuff. Really, really pro done. Um, all sorts of things you can do, colours, you can do black and white, everything. Um, you need to email, well, you can email me and I will refer you to the um, the man in charge, but it it is yes at torodrops.com t o r o drops as in del toro, um and yeah you can use the promo code a l a n and you will get a discount um they're already the best price I've ever encountered on backdrops so if you're out there sitting and you know thinking you need a backdrop for your band doesn't matter if you're playing huge festivals or bars they're pretty bloody cool um so you can hit me up in the dms and i will refer you in person or you can just email yes at torodrops.com all right let's get into it episode 153 is a kind of wide ranging all over the place and sometimes confusing chat between myself and mr matt bacon no it's not probably not wise for me to talk about chinese spy balloons (laughs) ah well we might as well start at the start i mean who isn't um, I mean, I just did a recorded a podcast and I started off by saying that um, I heard people bursting balloons outside in the street last night, but it turned out to be a hen party from Wales celebrating a wedding. So, I mean, maybe there's some confusion there. I don't know. They could have been trying to, maybe it was from Wales or something, trying to spy on Irish agricultural methods or something. I feel like hen party from Wales is one of the most depressing sentences anyone could ever say to me. <laughs> Listen, I I remember trying to go. I remember playing in either Cardiff or Wrexham in 2002 with Rotting Christ to about 30 or 40 people, and trying to go out afterwards for a drink. And when we're queuing to go into this pub, the bouncer punched um, the dude in front of us and knocked all his fucking teeth out straight into onto the dude from uh, Sackers and Rotting Christ's jacket. And we were just like. Ugh. And we just went, you know what? We'll just go back to the bus and get out of the city. But um, yeah, Cardiff, uh, on, Cardiff on a Saturday night for you, you know? Glamour. I lived in Cardiff. I know. It's weird. Did you? Fucking hell. Yeah. Live to tell the tale. I mean, I was very small, so it doesn't really count. But I did live there. Right. Um, You know, I do try to flex that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are kind of, there's a similarity between I mean, not so. Much, I'm not sure if there's a similarity anymore, but there certainly used to be a similarity between, um, you know, a Dublin, a Belfast, a Birmingham, a Glasgow, a Cardiff, or whatever. But I have a feeling, sort of, Dublin used to have that rough and ready kind of um, street hassle type thing about it, but it's long since gentrified, and all the people who wanted to kick your head in um, have been pushed to the burbs, you know. So. 
I have a feeling Cardiff on a Saturday night is probably still a bit more hair is it more hairy than Dublin is these days. But you know, I suppose Glasgow or whatever, you know. That's a process yeah. of gentrification <laughs> for you. It's uh it's fucking terrifying. You see it happen building by building here in Brooklyn. That's where you are now, is it? That's where I am right now, yes. Yeah. Uh I remember living in like the last punk house in my neighborhood and watching the nice buildings come closer and closer every couple months and just being like, we aren't going to be living in a squat much longer, are we? Shit. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that, I mean, I, I just, I mean, the last person I spoke to was John Cobbett from Hammers of Misfortune. And um, I think I met him in San Francisco 10 or 12, 14 years ago. And we, we, I think, I can't remember exact details, but we called up to Scalzi from Slough Feg for a few beers beforehand. And um, it was in the kind of arty district. And even then he was going like, we're the last of the people hanging on here. And then, you know, what he was telling me about San Francisco is the same thing I see in almost every big city that I go to now, whether it's Melbourne or Berlin or whatever, is that um, slowly but surely artists and people can't live in the city anymore and there's no places for it. I mean, I live on a street where um, you know, p- parallel to this should be a street, used to be a street of sort of odd, cool bars and you could go see a band on a Saturday night or something like this. And let's just say it now, and people are probably on the podcast are bored of me saying this, but you could you can go to slam poetry on a Saturday morning and then hot yoga easier than you can go and see a band on a Saturday night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, is slam poetry even, like, real? <laughs> okay. I mean, there were, there were words I could have prefaced slam poetry with to delineate its political orientation that I won't <laughs> for the purposes of the podcast. But I, I think what it is is that, I mean, you know, uh, people suck. No. I mean, what it is is that, isn't it, it's just unfortunately kind of market forces in the, in the sense that when there's no provision made to protect some of these areas, the fact is, like, I mean, I say this to my friends. Some people say to me, oh, why don't you start a, 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 open a bar in Dublin? And I think to myself, you know, you could have something cool here, but I don't know if people would go anymore. So I don't think that's what they want, you know? Well, yeah, because ultimately the problem with our society, right? Like, like the thing that, like, nobody wants to acknowledge, but I think is, like, the larger problem with culture mm. is that – and cu- culture – that you have to experience in person, like yeah. live music, like a bar, right? Yeah. The problem is that video games are just more entertaining, right? And it's like, I always use the joke of like, your band has to be more entertaining than an evening of watching my favorite show at home with the cat, you know? Cause I know that's like a solid evening and I don't want to go see your band in a shitty venue and be cold and grouchy and have you put on a boring show. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah, you know, except now you're no longer competing with fucking Seinfeld and fucking, you know, Felix over here. You're competing with like the most intense, perfectly created video game for that specific person in like a VR whatever. So, of course, it's harder to get them to go to a show because like when you look at like Discharge used to do like 30 date tours of the UK. Mm. And there, like, wasn't fucking anything to do in fucking Sheffield on a Tuesday night. Yeah. You know, and there's still nothing to do in Sheffield on a Tuesday night because of the shithole. But, yeah. like, moreover, 
that they can play video games now. You know what I mean? And like, I don't fucking know. Well, that's not good. I mean, that's the that's the process what we're moving into, isn't it? Really, that fundamentally you're talking about people having the sort of Oculus Rift sensation on a Saturday night. If they're if they're moving into a sort of remote living, working lifestyle, um, then fundamentally, if they get sort of used to that, I think uh, used to that um, situation, that the likelihood of them going out to socialize, I think people sort of lose the habit, you know, things can become severed, you know, I mean, certainly, yeah, absolutely. Certainly, it's one of the reasons why we know that in Germany, you know, a lot of people are not buying tickets for shows anymore. And I think that you can see it in stages like i was only saying this yesterday is that the the ability people once had to cancel on meeting up socially um you know if you let's say we arranged to meet each other in 1993 unless i could get you on the fucking phone before you left the house you were on your way into the place and i had to go or else i was like fuck he's going to be sitting there on his own all night and wondering what the fuck are you doing you dickhead and you are you were under yeah. an obligation to meet your commitment but now you can just go that's an interesting point you go meh, feel sick, yeah. and there's no comeback. There's no you, and then somebody else goes, oh, okay, you know. Um, and so now, what you do is we have so many arrangements to avoid social commitment. So many, you know, kind of like easy, sure. easy ways out. Sure. And now, post pandemic, a lot of people are going. You know what? Maybe I didn't like being in a room with hundred people in a squashed in and sweaty room, or maybe I just like sitting on the couch, as you say, playing video games and drinking wine. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I also can't fault them. Well, you can. You know, I mean, you can, but, like, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I understand. I understand, like, that desire, you know, um, and it's hard, you know, but, but it's but it's been this way. I think it's just a continuation on the way it's been for years. Like, for years, it was like. You know, for years it's been if it, if you're, for example, playing a show in a place in a venue where most people walk to that venue, mm. and it starts raining, you were kind of fucked in 1995 or last week. Yeah, um, you know, I just think, but you're right that it's, this is it. It's like if you have more excuses, if you have more entertainment, then the fuck. Yeah, I mean, it's. I suppose it, it, it's. It's. It's just that um, the ability now to sort of embrace a kind of non-committal um, thing is just so much easier for everybody. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But, but I don't know where it. Um, I mean, we both do bits of work in Germany, and so I don't know where it goes, especially when it comes to ticket buying and shows and that kind of thing, because nobody can calibrate anymore, and you know, a local agent or a festival can calibrate things the way they used to because there's a big hesitancy amongst people now to buy tickets although the catatonia salsafere tour adi told me is killing it apparently but you know maybe that's the exception i mean i think that people are more uh selective right mm. and i just but i and i also think that like what i'm seeing especially in sort of the 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 hardcore scene, which is kind of in America inherently the scene that young people are in. Really? Right? If they like heavy music. Yeah, nobody. What do, you, what do you mean by hardcore? Well, hardcore is a very broad definition. You know, yeah. I managed to span a squalor grind. They're 
if you listen to them in a vacuum, they are a death metal band. But they definitely identify with the hardcore scene as such. Mm. But in terms of like, how about this? The extreme music that is popular among people uh, under the age of 30 in America. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Right. The extreme guitar music. Mm. Like, those crowds are better than ever. Yeah. That's- you know, because I feel like that scene went away and now it's coming back. And I think that when you're creating a product people are excited about, you're creating a product people are excited about. I, it's well, that's exactly what I mean. I did this with Paul from Blood Incantation. And that's exactly what he said. And he happens to be in one of those bands by hook or by crook who do bring out people. And there's a sort of, I can see similarities, whether it's with Full of Hell or Power Trip um, before the guy sadly fucking died or whatever. They, they, to me, like when I heard Power Trip, I was like, okay, I heard these riffs in 1989. In fact, I have Ludacris Power Trip. Uh, I guess that's where they got the fucking name. Um, And I heard those crossover riffs, but now for, they're exciting to, they were exciting to dudes who were like, 20, 22, 23, and I, it's, you can see a sort of sense of reimagination of some of those older scenes, but there's bands who are kind of stranded in some other place where they only play to 45 to 60-year-old people, you know? Um, I'm not sure. There doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot of rhyme or reason as to why one thing is one and one thing is the other. I mean, is it because Blood Get Incantation all wear white T-shirts? I don't know. Is it that simple? <laughs> I mean, I think it's... <laughs> Blood Incantation are an interesting one because they're not, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're not super young people, right? No. Well, I mean, they're, they're say, late 30s, you know? Yeah, so they're not, so it's not like some of these other bands where it's like 200 Stab Wounds, like, are right. 23. Right, yeah, So yeah. it's easy to understand why they have a bunch of 23-year-old friends that turns into a community that turns into... Sure, exactly, yeah. Yeah. You know. Um... But for you example, know, I, where, where Blood Incantation, the poll was saying they were will be on tour in the states and they could headline and pull 200, 300 people. But if you go sure. back to two thousand and six or five or four, I remember talking to like Malevolent Creation guys, Immolation, this kind of stuff. And they were like, "There's no point touring the USA right now. There's 25, 30, 40 people showing up." Also, now a band who realistically are smaller than those bands were in their peak in the nineties is able to pull two, three, four hundred people. You know. Absolutely. Why is that? Um, a couple things. Okay. I I think that one, I think a lot of it is the narrative around the band, right? Because you'll see this happen where like you have Blood Incantation who are late 30s, you know, and then another band who are the same age, but who... Like, like Blood Incantation have also, by whatever way, been able to kind of have that narrative be young, exciting, new death metal band mm. pulling in elements of yes into their cannibal corpse. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. And I think that when you can tell that story, right, the problem with a band like Immolation, like what I see with the kids who go to a 200 Stab Wound show or in a Squaley yeah. Grind show, you know, is those kids might sort of nominally know who morbid angel is but they're not like morbid angel fans yeah you know for them extreme music starts with like black dahlia murder sure okay you know what i mean which you know and you see that in other scenes obviously right like you see in the um you know I, i would i would venture that many i don't know like 
in the thrash scene, once you got past like 1986, like a lot of those kids weren't listening to Iron Maiden. They were into like music started at Metallica for those kids. Mm. You know what I mean? Kind of the same thing with black metal, right? Like there's a group of people where music starts at not even necessarily a mayhem. Like there's a whole new wave of black metal where I know people where music starts at Alcest. Yeah. You I know, mean, I, I wonder, is it because everything is so stratified? Everything is so atomized between all the different names of scenes oh. that people are less inclined to go back to the beginning because going back to the beginning means going back 30, 40, 50 years. And when I got into thrash, whatever, 86, 87, um, 83 seemed like fucking years away. That's but, what I'm saying. Yeah. But it was only four years. But I wanted to hear everything of where everything came from. Whereas absolutely, if you're getting into whatever is the cool kid black metal band now, I don't know what that is. Um, are you, is, you know, do you, do you listen to me when I go, you know, fuck, it's fucking nothing compared to don't break the oath. And you go, Pfft. but I, or I wanted to hear the equivalent of whatever that was, but I didn't have so far back to reach, I guess. Maybe it's because everything is so atomized, but that's society in general, I suppose. Well, yeah. Well, and I think that like, ultimately when you look at, to use a cool kid, black metal band, who I very much enjoy black braid, right. Who are like very hyped right now. Very black, interesting black stuff. Gen yeah. Okay. Like genuinely good. Not none of this uh American pretending it's black metal wouldn't actually be allowed into beyond the gates shit. Um <laughs> Okay. I know what you mean. <laughs> I mean I'm I'm just saying like I have yeah. a lot of very elitist opinions and I have a very elitist black metal girlfriend. So this mm. is what I talk about all day. Mm. <laughs> but like what I'm saying is like when you look at a band like that, like I think that so if you're if you're someone who gets into black braid, like the amount of black metal that's been released in the last five years, mm. there's enough to last you forever. Yeah. I Ultimately, mean, right? Like I don't know, because when you start getting into thrash metal, there's in 1986. There's literally like 30 thrash metal records. Maybe. Oh, I don't know, but no, I don't. I would disagree. There are there's there's hundreds and hundreds if you scratch the surface. But there's there's so many bands that you will if you found like. Uh, I'm saying sorry to, to define. I mean an LP that was released like in yeah. a way that you could reasonably buy, not a tape, not like a tape. Oh no, no, for sure. I mean, for every. For every creator in Sodom, there's you go down the levels, you go Exhumer, Living Death, Necronomicon, Protector. And before you get sure. to, and you will get to, like, I'm, if you, I'm not sure they exist anymore, but every now and again, I go into a flea market or a secondhand store somewhere in, let's say, small town in Germany, and you might find, um, and you go, oh, wow, okay. And you've got this nest egg of 40 to 50 to 60 Belgian, Dutch, German thrash from 1984, 85. There's more than you'd imagine. But I, I, I know what you mean, but there is. Yeah, more, like right? what, what I'm saying is like, there's always like more if you dig deeper, but broadly speaking, like if I am someone who can go to the record store and doesn't know someone in the scene. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I, I remember the day I remember the day Mental Funeral came out. It was the same day as Blessed or the Sick in Dublin. And there were queues of people to buy the two records. And that was your choice of that week. Yeah, that's what I'm if saying. If you had the money, you know, which one would you buy? Um, and that was, they were the big records of that week or that month. Whereas, I mean, I pick up an issue of Death Forever and 
I'm I, I don't even want to look at legacy anymore. Um, and uh, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of records every month. And yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't even imagine keeping up anymore. You know. Yeah, What's and that's kind of, that's kind of my point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all that to say, you know, I think that when you're dealing with that oversaturation, I think it becomes more a question of like cutting through the noise, and it's a question of. Okay, then how do you cut through the noise? Same way it's always been building community. Well, okay, you know? but the difference is in yeah, but they're different. It's a difference between, I suppose, what it would have been an eighties analog community and then now trying to build a digital community. I mean, how does a band like pick, pick if you pick one of those new bands? I mean, are they doing this through, um, you know, social media presence or different platforms or like, how is two hundred stab wounds moving through up through the ranks? I mean, I, I Do feel they play like the game properly or what? I mean. Let me use the Esquela Grind example just because they're at kind of a similar level and I actually manage them so I can okay. speak more authoritatively. Um, you know, I feel like there is a piece of the digital thing and like that's definitely a band where like people make really dumb memes about them and it gets shared and that really helps. Right. You know, because I think that there is this piece of like that classic marketing thing of like people need to see something um, seven times before they can, before they act on it. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's obviously a piece. Uh, that being said, I also think that, um, you know, when you look at these bands, a big way, a lot of them grew was just, they were the really active guy in their scene. Right. You know, Esquela, like, Jesse, who's sort of the, um, you know, there's is, is one of the main ones in the band, right? Uh, was in another band before that, has been booking DIY shows on their own for years, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, was letting bands sleep at their house, was letting them all the all the classic things. You know what I mean? And I feel like the digital thing is almost an add-on because I think that what I consistently see is that when people do, a lot of people think they can do it only digitally, but I think that people in most cases need to meet you to like, or need to have some sort of physical interaction, be that seeing you at a show or something to kind of take that relationship to a next level, you know, because I see a lot of people trying to, you know, make memes about themselves, but what does that mean? Yeah. You know, if there's no genuine product to back it up, but beyond there's an album out, I guess you could probably listen to it if you wanted to. Um, you know, you know what I mean? And I think that, so I think that these people were all building community. Jesse in particular, I really admire because they're always like, in the dms of every single band they think is cool you know talking to them but like i don't really understand how fundamentally different that is from like tape trading and just being the really enthusiastic tape trader um I, you I, know i think like it's, it's harder to be a tape trader but like fundamentally there's not much difference between that and you know brian slagle writing letters to a ton of people in 1982. um yeah i mean i suppose it's that the difference is that it's virgin territory then i i think 
I suppose a lot of it comes down to if you are able to go on tour properly and still press the flesh like bands traditionally do. And I, I think that the the younger bands who are able to get that going, I always think 27 or 28 is a really complicated age. If you've been doing it since you're 18, 19, you have a little run before life's responsibilities catch up on you. And yes. by the time you get to 28, you realize you never make any money from touring and you have to make a decision. Uh, do you let life decide other things for you? So I see an awful lot of bands who, who build up a thing and then they run out of steam when they hit 27, 28, 29 because um, they just can't tour and not be paid anymore unless you're very, very lucky. Or you, you're 50 plus and your life's responsibilities have worked out and your kids are grown up and you can go back out on tour. And if that stage you can, then you're probably a legacy band who can get paid, paid properly. But an awful lot of the bands who pop up, then you look for them three or four years later and you go, oh, okay, this band just disappeared. I guess they just hit that 30 mark. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like that. You've got to decide if you're going to be a lifer or not. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, it's one of the things I used to often get frustrated with um, dealing with the generation who were um, one or two older than me was the idea that in 1983 um, you had such a stretch of upward mobility and it, you could be influenced by bands and see how they were growing, selling 50, 100, 150, 200,000 records up and up and up. And it was kind of like um, opening out in front of you. And that was happened through the 90s and the 2000s that you could still see a business, you know, an open business model. But the gate became, the aperture became slowly smaller and smaller yeah. and smaller. And now it's at the place where most bands, even who you would look on Spotify and see have hundreds of thousands of people following them, they're touring um, literally just for merch because the costs of doing it are so high. And so the idea that modern bands don't want to do what bands did in 83, I think, is patently nonsense. I think it's more, I agree. It's more because you just keeping on doing it and just never making anything. I mean, it's sadly one of the reasons why Primordial never toured America enough. Because it, it, everyone said to me, it's going to take seven, you seven or eight tours to get paid properly. And when everybody has jobs and kids and responsibilities and blah, 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 whatever, you're going to choose the two weeks you get paid properly in Europe or keep going back to America to not get paid. Or, I mean, you know what I mean? So, and many, many European yeah. bands are the same. And so there's no, there's no model of tour support. There's no model of, I mean, you could keep touring and get a bit bigger, but it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have a, a, the same. I don't know, what would you say, weight behind it it used to in 1986 or 1996 or whatever, because there's no physical... Yeah, but, and again, that's just because, just a circle all the way back. That's because there's all these other entertainment options, mm. right? Like, when there's no video games you're competing with or whatever, there's a lot, you know, it's a lot easier to convince someone to come out, and if you are you know, the pinnacle of the entertainment industry as such... Yeah. Then obviously you're going to have more money to get, you know, to focus on making sure that you can continue to have these products that get more people to come out. Mm. You know, uh, but I agree that it's like, you know, but I just think that's like the market forces. And I think we're just kind of fucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, we were certainly, I think that we were certainly shown how fucked we were during um, lockdown. When um, I mean, everything was just shut, you know, all the, obviously, everybody knows. Yeah, exactly. You're either a t-shirt designer or you're completely screwed. Uh, well, I mean, I think yeah, a friend of mine, um, she just told me that uh, her old design graphic art 
um, company just laid off 45 people. Um, the income well, yeah, because all those places overhired during COVID. Well, oh no, I what I mean is the 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 expectation of all their jobs being taken by AI is what's incoming. Um, oh, I mean, as in what's the yeah, point? but like you know, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, oh well everything <laughs> you know I'm yeah like, i just think with that like ultimately yeah i think that's the sort of thing that like you kind of can't stress too much about just because of how it's gonna pl the, the way i view ai in general is how it's gonna play out is so far beyond me that I'm just sort of like, okay, we'll just ride this one out and just kind of understand that, like... Mm. I mean, it, that, that might be true, or it might really not be true. And, and it, there isn't a way to ride it out. I don't know. I think that it's... But, but, but so here's my point. With, like, here's my viewpoint with AI and music, for example, right? Mm. Is like, because, like, there are AI songs that have millions of streams right now. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Except... The way I view it is I don't see so let's say let's say you're a metal band mm. who gets the perfect AI death metal song written mm. and everyone agrees that this song is great. Mm. Okay. Like ultimately you still have to go out and a, first, you have to, like, the way it works, you can't really say, like, write me a death metal song and have it be good. You have to, like, sculpt it a little bit, you know, well, even if that's just saying, write me a death metal song inspired by blood incantation and 200 stab wounds and a squalor grind. Well, it, right? it, 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 I think that that is incoming. I mean, I follow a YouTube sure, channel, sure. follow a YouTube channel uh, which is just AI generating music, and I think I, I sense it's just posting it itself, and it tries to do gent, which is very close to... to yeah. That is the death metal song uh, is a mess because it's just it's it's figure trying to figure it out yet. Um, it's no, just, but I sure. think the, the thing about it is it's not really. I don't think it's it's not for our particular generation that's going to be occupied by this. I think that if you're eight now, when you're fifteen, are you going to care that your the music you like is made by avatars or made by AI? Um, and but, I think I think pop music. Um, I mean, this, this is such a, you know, I mean, theoretically, a Billie Eilish fan could write a Billie Eilish song better than the Billie Eilish song that's actually been written by her coming out the day after. I mean, music is, you know, childish and electronically yeah. enough, enough for it to be easily, easily copied, I think, you know. But I also think that the artists, you know, they're still like, the way I view it is like, there's tons of people out there playing music. Who had their songs written for them by a super producer right well i mean I'm, and I'm, who are putting their own you know whatever emotions into the live performance and then they're taking it from there you know and there's a lot of metal bands who you know increasingly metal bands have their songs written by some sort of some super producer you know a jay rustin a mark lewis type really good really talented guys who create excellent music you know Right. Well, I'm not, they go out. I'm not even talking about people saying to AI to write me a death metal song for my band that's real. I'm talking about unreal bands that kids like because they've grown yeah, up. Yeah, but that's, on, you know. 
I just, I think that's existed for years though, right? Like look at Hatsumi Miku in Japan. Like that's what it is, is a super producer creates songs that this like anime hologram girl performs and hey, like... Sure, but, 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 but I'm think, I, think it's, I think it's different because potentially you're talking about removing any human from the process. And it's because it's a self-learning yeah. capacity. Um, I think it's, it, it's probably not... If you, like, I'm not sure how AI is going to cope with trying to make a sloppy black thrash band, as long as there's people still around who want to listen to that. But I think things like Niels from minimalist composers, um, gaming soundtrack music, a lot of pop music. This is this is the writing's on the wall for all that shit, because as soon as there are, you know, uh, people who uh, get earn tons of money from gaming incidental music, as soon as they, people find a way of not paying anybody to do that, they're not going to do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Clint, Clint Mansell's, or let's say the mini Clint Mansell's this world, your time is up, I think, soon, because they're just the work is going to dry up because, you know, computers will be able to just, I mean, this minimalistic stuff, um, which has millions of fucking people following it as well, I, I see, I think that's somehow going to go first, and also pop music because it's the very nature of what it is. It's going to be harder to replicate a punk band through AI. And there's no doubt about it. But I mean, I don't know. But is that a growing concern for your average 14-year-old? Probably not. Yeah. and I. But I also think that your average 14-year-old is still excited to, you know, they go to see a band. They don't ask who wrote that song. They're excited to... I don't think 14-year-olds are excited to see bands. <laughs> I don't think there's... I, I guarantee you right now in Dublin City on Tuesday... There isn't a band with guitars playing to a room full of excited teenagers. There isn't. They don't care about this kind of thing. Um, maybe there. Maybe there is. I a, don't know. If, maybe there I don't is. Know a, if I agree. It, it, uh, I, I would doubt it. Because, like, I mean, I, especially not guitar I, music, you know. I'm talking about again. I'm talking about like the crowds who I'm seeing at these Escuela Grind 200 Sabun shows. Like there are really young kids showing up, and I'm like. Is this okay? Yeah, but I mean, uh, well, I'm talking about, I mean, there isn't any guitar music in mainstream music in the top 100. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And on that I mean, level, yeah. about, but I think there's... You're talking about 100, 200, 17-year-olds. I mean, I'm sure maybe there's, you know, if you went to see Power Trip, if they were they are the equivalent now a couple of years later in Dublin on a Wednesday, um, then, yeah, there's probably going to be 250 people, and some of them are going to be between 16 and 24, sure. But I'm kind of talking about um, at least mainstream music. I don't think there's sure. any anywhere where 800 <clears throat> uh, who aren't niche, the couple of niche teenagers who have survived the call left are going to see a band of guitars. They're going to see an Instagram influencer. I mean, but but to, uh, but I, I disagree. Like Harry Styles, who plays guitar music, it's not good guitar music, but it is guitar music. I would disagree with guitar music, really. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair I, I, I can accept that um, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like they're you still see pop songs you know look at fucking um fucking what's her face a Disney girl who's just ripped off the pair Olivia Rodrigo right like her big single last year was like a Paramore ripoff like okay is that like you know it's not like rock or metal but it's still it was still objectively a rock song, you know, good for you is object is rock music, even if it's not necessarily for me. Um, well, I mean, you okay. know, there's, there's not, there's, okay. It, there's no real, there's no rock music that isn't emasculated then in the top couple of hundred things that is really, I mean, 
Um, I, I just, I'm, what I'm trying to say is I just don't think, I don't think in most big cities there is um, a thousand or 800 teenagers who are like, fucking hell, such and such is playing. We've got to go and fucking see it. Like it no, was, but I get what you're saying. Yes. Do. It's, yes. It's, and on those terms, because um, of the kind of total victory of pop music, um, I, can, I, I don't think it matters to that industry that the future of it will be made by AI or whatever. So the, I, I kind of feel that the, whatever we represent or whatever we're into has to be a sort of like a, a slow food rebellion to the McDonald's. There has to be 10, 15 or 20 percent of people who go, we don't want this. Or we want to go and see a live band. And as long as that exists, we can exist. But if not, it's, it's a bit harder. I mean, we as in, um, I, I mean, it's complicated because a part of me is just like, who cares? If hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The shit of metal isn't in the mainstream or whatever. I guess it's more the analog process of someone on a stage playing something to people who've come to see it. And it feels yes. like much of the forces that have been inactive or uh, most, many, many of the forces socially, technologically, um, medically in the last couple of years have been forcing people into perhaps some kind of a future where that becomes less and less of a reality. That's what I'm, that's my sort of dark view of where it's headed, but that's hardly. Surprising. Yeah. I all, oh, but again, I think that, I think part of that is tied into the, video gamification of everything right which is like probably broadly speaking a bad thing for society but uh 
you know, but it's also, I just think like, like when you look at how stadium bands putting on compelling shows for young people, but what, you what, know, what, what, what bands is that? I, I just think, don't think anybody's interested. There isn't a band who are young enough to appeal to young people who are doing that kind of thing. Because I think rock is just so. What about Turnstile? I don't know. It's such a. It's such an. Turnstile, I think, just did 5,000 tickets in oh, Brooklyn the other day. Turnstile, okay. I've heard the name, yeah. Like, those are kids who I like grew up with and knew, right? And then after the show, you go to the bar and people are singing along to those songs, right? And I think that's another example of just like young people want this. And when you're able to like Turnstile is very good at turning their shows into like a communal event. And I remember that in 2014, it was like a communal event and people are singing along and, you know, and I think that you can't really replace that, but I also think you need to emphasize that. And if you look at like their content, if you look at the content that successful hardcore bands are using on TikTok, right? Which is really the extreme music that does best on TikTok right now, although that's starting to change. You know, uh, weirdly, Bethlehem get a lot of love on TikTok. I don't know. Bethlehem. Um, I think it's because Olianar is like a really interesting person. Like they don't have a TikTok, but people create a lot of t- Bethlehem content. Oh, um, you mean? Do you mean the girl from Dark and Nocturnal Slaughter Cult? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's but probably that's nobody what... talks about Dark, Dark and Nocturnal Slaughter Cult on TikTok, but a lot of people talk about Bethlehem. Yeah, but that's because I mean, her image is a kind of living meme, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's easy to engage with. Yeah. I was just just thinking about what you're saying there. I think we're talking across purposes because I suppose what I'm more interested in is that, um, or what I'm thinking about is, I suppose, the broader societal impacts of what AI might, how it might change change creativity. I'm not particularly talking about um, specific bands and how they're engaging with some young people. I suppose that's the difference. Maybe it's, um, so we're kind of talking across each other but I, but I do I take your point um I I'm I guess I've just been because I've been thinking about this a lot about whether it's the chat GPT or whatever it's chat to you know the chat bot program the I've been messing around a mid journey I've been you know with the art thing just looking at it and um the, the music thing is more of an uncanny valley there's no there's no there's no two ways about it but I think sure. I think the, the I suppose what I've been thinking about is the concept that in a couple of years' time, let's say um, the next primordial gig, we all fucking die in a car crash or in a fucking plane crash. Um, and in six years' time, four years' time, some primordial fan goes, well, I want an album that's between the third and the fourth album with this producer, these guitars, here's the topics, here's the art. Go to sleep, wake up in the morning, new primordial album. Um, with, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, how close could it possibly be or get to where we were in that period. And I think if, if I understand the potentialities of AI, then that's a very real consideration. Sure. Have 100 new Led Zeppelin albums in 10 years time, um, all tailored to everybody's individual particular needs and wants. And I think that it, the potential for it to just sort of um, remake the entire landscape. I was talking to my aunt about, sorry, I'm talking to my aunt about it. She's a, a tutor in college and I said well what about when students are not going to have to write their own theses how are you going to be able to tell which one is which and she, her brain was like what and I had to explain about the chat and where it's going to go and like how sure. to face it. that so that's where my brain is at I'm not I suppose it's I'm not um 
your example of Turnstile, who I've come across actually on YouTube, is 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 valid. Of course, that's. I just think I was thinking about something completely different. You know. No. Yeah. And, and but I and I think that like it, it's you know in terms of a, of a broader impact, I view it the way like Google kind of fundamentally changed how our brains work. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the ability to Google something suddenly means that you don't really need to like know things anymore. You need yeah. to be able to like synthesize information and you need to be able to yada, yada, yada. But like in terms of like knowing things, you don't mm. really need that. You know, we're kind of, we're kind of past that. And I feel like, and it's, and so look, so look at it this way, right. Is for a long time, we viewed the ability to know a lot of things as a key piece of intelligence. Yeah. Right. And that shifted. Now we view the ability to synthesize a bunch of information as a key and then come up with a cool solution is a key piece of intelligence. Right. But isn't that well, okay. Give me an example of what you mean. So what I'm saying is like, if pre Google. Yeah. I knew every Winston Churchill fact. Okay. Yeah. I'd have to take your word for it if we we're in the pub. <laughs> yeah. Not, but not, but, but, but also like you would, that was a lot more impressive because it meant that like that guy who knew every Winston Churchill fact had to like study read a bunch of books yeah. and da, 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 and had to like know about Winston Churchill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, now you're just like, oh, that guy got bored on Google last night. I wanted to impress this girl whose grandpa died in the war. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, like six, I'll accept it. Yeah. No, no, but like, you get what I'm saying, right? Like yeah. the, you know, like there's no point. And so, and so, but now you're like, Oh, the really smart people are like the people who like figure out, you know, who are able to take all the data and then be like, Oh, here's my marketing plan for the new primordial record. Mm. You know what I mean? And then do that. And I think that, right now you know or like a journalist who can write a really compelling article is a lot more impressive than someone who can spew off a lot of facts about metal history do you think so my my view of most journalism is pretty low these days i mean that's fair i'm talking about like if we can agree on if we can agree on like Matt Taibbi or something, I'll I'll go. Yeah, you know, one of the cool guys, like writing like a really interesting thing that's objectively more interesting than mm. the really annoying Punisher, who's like, well, so I have this question about the 1997 Primordial Tour, and you know, and like, so like we've kind of accepted that, and I think that like, I don't know, I just think that this is the next step is like, how do you use these tools? You know, I've made a ton of money essentially Googling things for other people. And if you ask any IT guy, you know, at a, at a relatively low level, most of the time, those guys will just tell you, like, I'm not really that smart. Like, everyone thinks I'm smart because I'm a computer guy. I just Google stuff all day. Well, I think, it sort of I think it sort of speaks for itself. The fact that, I mean, at least anecdotally, every one of my young relatives that I would speak to, I mean, between the ages of whatever, seven and 14, um, seem to have no interest in entering um well um, that's unfair for me to say let's say this um the aspirations of an awful lot of young kids to be 
YouTubers instead of, um, or to, you know, to know platforms or work platforms, because they see that as a route to, you know, um, some sort of a living, which shouldn't really be occupying your brain when you're 10 years old, over education or academia. Yeah, uh, but, but when you were 10 years old, you wanted to be a rock star. Um, I wanted to be a footballer, actually. But um, no, maybe yeah, that's same bad, shit. Maybe that's a bad example. I, I, I'm what I'm trying to say is that maybe um, I'm trying to sort of shoehorn that into what you've just said. At least from what my experience is, it that people are, um, you know, viewing those who can um, work best with the tech more than people who. You, you know would have known things as, uh, traditional traditionally but i suppose yeah. it depends on the, it depends on where you work or what you're doing now i suppose sure but i just think it's the same the same thing where it's like the people who are able to kind of deploy technology effectively tend to be the people we view as the smartest people um and you know that's historically and i just think i don't fully know how that's going to look yet but I see it happening and I do see smart people. You mean China? No, but even like, I know a podcaster who uses AI to help uh, structure his podcasts, where essentially what he does is he sits down and he says, okay. Well, he can he'd probably use AI to write them by now, I suppose. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, basically what it does for him is he types into the pot, like he want, he does a music industry podcast, right? So... His idea might be, you know, I want this episode to be about how to book your first live shows. Yeah, and then chat, he, he, the chat GPT just spits out an outline with bullet points. And then he does some edits and then like shares his stories from his personal experience or whatever. Mm. And then he's and then that's his podcast outline. And then he does it with his friend. I suppose when if he can figure out voice synthesis, he probably doesn't need to do it at all eventually. Yeah, but that's, that's where that's the things that I think about. No, I agree. But that's, I think, where personal experience becomes really important, right? Because I think that... But not, but not to the people who, like, for example, you can always sort of synthesize somebody else's personal experience if you're speaking to people who are unfamiliar with it, I suppose. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it's interesting because I'm just... It's, we're at some sort of pivotal societal crossroads where where, where exactly sure. is this going to go in... It's not just the, the far... It's not, we're not talking about 10, 15, 20 years. We're talking about four, Next five, year. six, seven, eight. Yeah. What's going to happen? I mean, like already, it, like I said, you, you know, the chat GP, GT, what is it? GP or GT? Which is it? GPT. GPT. Okay. Both. Um, already just that model, you know, um, and theoretically, me and you could agree on, okay, we're going to form an online newspaper. And never actually write anything for it. We just we just inform it of our politics and go. We want um, a left leaning newspaper that supports these six things. Now scour the internet, write the stories. Off you go. I mean, these are that's that, not crazy. Yeah, it's not. It's crazy. already happening, probably. Yeah, already happening, probably. Yeah. Whereas where you know politicians who are just bots are allowing this to write their tweets for them to order based on what they're. The history was or their politics are uh it's yeah so it's that's it kind of breaks my brain thinking about it you know i'm sort of, in a way i'm sort of glad to have had 30 odd years of my career behind me on some level but like uh because i just kind of stuff and especially how it's going to seep into the music industry 
Um, I mean, maybe, maybe it won't. Maybe in five years' time, we'll be sitting around at Vakken and I'll be going, fucking hell, I didn't think I was going to be doing this when I was 55 or whatever. Um, and it's just going to still roll on doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's always evolving, you know, but I also think that like a couple years ago, and this is pre-COVID times, right? Mm. Festivals started to really lean into the, we're going to have a live stream portion. Yeah. You know, or, oh, we're going to have a VR portion. And what I've, and now they've started to pick it, started to pick it up again. But what I consistently see is like, people aren't interested. No, but there was no, you know, there, there was no way to make any money out of it. Like, like a few people are interested. Sometimes you can do it in a compelling way if you have all the stars aligning and the right type of fan base. It has to be the right, right? Type of fan base. And that comes back but, to what I was saying before. That's very few sort of metal bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I think, you know. And, and and so what I'm trying to say is, you know, so people don't want that. No. And so, which is fine, probably better. You know, but like my point is, you know, I just, I think that people, I think that the live thing is always going to have value because I think that people will always be like, I'm not going to, like, I don't, you know, because the reason people value live music is not just because they want to go see Alan Averill running around on stage. Yeah. You know what I mean, they like it because they want to see their friends. They want to, yeah, you know, they want to drink a beer. It's it's part of an overarching experience, and it's better, at least in that moment, than the sitting at home playing video games with your cat. Yeah, I mean, it's I I suppose there's it also depends on where societally we're going with these things as well. I mean, you know, I'm not. I just, is there any point in talking about all that kind of stuff? I don't know, because people have heard me talk about it in the podcast before, you know, personal carbon footprint emission stuff and all this kind of stuff. If that, of all that stuff, which I'm unsure of because the weight of bureaucracy and how much of it is just, um, you know, sort of empty theory um, and how much ends up becoming a reality as we move into some sort of, um, you know, the, the, the sort of climate emergency um, stratosphere, whatever you want to call it, societal way. Sure. Uh, it could end an awful lot of the things we're talking about. But well, that's the, the other hand, piece. Hmm? But on the that's other the hand, other piece that nobody wants to think about. That's scarier uh, than AI. Well, that's what I think about all the time. Um, uh, no, it's just, I mean, that's why the podcast called Agitate is Anonymous. It's not called it's Asher, it'll be grand. <laughs> and, you, you know, yeah. the whole point is it's not to be apocalyptic about it because of obviously, all of these fucking nonsense ideas generally are, they collapse under the weight of their own bureaucracy, like every authoritarian impulse from most systems did, but it sometimes took decades or whatever. But so I kind of think of it, try and think about some of these things in those terms. But I think, I'm, I think you're, you are right in that when the whole, the, the lockdown interestingly showed us that people weren't interested in live streams, but then again, you could watch probably a better one on YouTube anyway. So people were like, well, why would I watch this, you know? But a great percentage yeah. of people afterwards never came back to shows. I think a lot of people went, I don't really, I, I don't think I'm into this, actually, you know? Or well, yeah, and the, they just go to there was There was an article um, 
that someone wrote, and this was pre-pandemic, but it was actually kind of eye-opening. This guy, uh, Chris Kevorkian, I believe his name is, he wrote an article that was basically like, I feel this weird obligation to go to shows mm. and, I f- and I'm 40 and I have like a desk job and I hate my life because I go to shows four times a week, but I feel this obligation to go. Yeah. And, and when he wrote that article, tons of people in the scene were like, Oh my God, this is me. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, you it's, know, it's, and it's, I, it's been me sometimes as well, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's fine. It's just, you know, it, it's not as obvious as I think we like to make it out to be. You know what I mean? I think that like there is sort of this sense of being overwhelmed by having to go to so many shows. It's yeah, I, it's and com- the whole thing. It's complicated because you do feel a sense of obligation because that's part of a scene that maybe you've you've actively built. But at the same time, when it's cold and raining outside, and you know on a Tuesday you're going to go down and see Armored Saint and you're going to have the same 90-second conversation with 20 different people. How you doing? How you doing? Yeah, okay, okay, things okay. Blah, 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 blah. And your brain just goes... Just shut down. Yeah. But, then, but then what do you end up spending your time doing? Sitting, looking at the screen instead or whatever. It's... um, Yeah, I can... I do, underst- I do understand it, the idea that um, freeing yourself from obligation sometimes is a good thing. But then it ties back into what we were talking about 20 minutes, half an hour ago, which is the sort of opt-out culture of relation in relation to social commitments, which fundamentally can be a bad thing overall. Like I know many people who are like, oh, yeah. I get to work from home, you know, blah, blah, blah. I go, really? But you do realize that you being able to pad around in your pajamas all day is going to kill, you know, well, let's say this. People I knew who were overjoyed at um, working from home and I said to them, there are things you're going to miss, mark my words. And then they realized, oh, there's no dates. I never get laid. I don't have a drink after work. I don't go to a gig. Nothing spontaneous happens. I go, no, I know, because you're sitting in your front room in your fucking pajamas on your laptop all day. And then you go, well, okay, we'll eat something and go to bed. And you, 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 you're not supposed to live like that. Even as attractive as to some people, it seemed for a while. Not to some people, they still fell into that. But um. Uh, what the fuck am I talking about? I don't know. No, but I, I understand what you're saying. And, and, and this is like, <laughs> no, but like, this is part of like the fundamental, whatever. I think, I think that within a society, musicians are a really good example. Mm. Within a society, there are certain lifestyles you see that you think are desirable, but which are only beneficial for a small portion of people with a very specific mindset, right? To use the musician example, a lot of people would like to be a touring rock musician. Sure. Okay, a lot of people would kill for your level of success, Mm. right? We meet these people, they've put, you know, they put tons of money into it and they've gotten nowhere. Sure. Okay. But simultaneously, what you consistently find is that you give someone that shot and they freak out and they can't take the pressure. Well, I mean, you know what I mean? And, and this is something I've experienced 
time and time again, right? Like, so you, and, and I think it's the same with like working from home or whatever, right? Like, I think that definitely works for a certain chunk of the society. I've never had an office job in my life. Yeah. You know, I mean, but I also think that, I mean, what it was, you know, I mean, I don't know if that was good for me. Yeah. I mean, I think that what I, what I meant was I wasn't really even talking about playing in a band or being anything of those aspirations. What I was talking about was people who actually just worked office jobs. And I, I mean, I, no, I get it. I haven't had an office job for fuck, I don't know, 16 years, 17 years, but what, did make it bearable was that I worked with good people and on a Thursday you might have a spontaneous night out on the, you know, on the piss and who knows, you know, unforeseen things might've happened and you might've had fucking fun and blah, whatever. And there, you know, there'd be the usual office shit that went on and that's what made it bearable. Um, And if you remove all of that, I think an awful lot of people rushed into the convenience and forgot that like, Oh shit. um, Three years ago, I haven't had a date in three years or I haven't, met anyone i go well that's because you removed joyfully the thing where you had your most social interaction you know and yeah, where you went outside yeah the repercussions for that i wasn't even talking about people who wanted to be rock stars or whatever you know just the 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 people who i suppose didn't really think about the repercussions a year or two later and or not or who now who are now coming back into my city going where's all the where would you go and see a band and i go nowhere because when you were joyfully embracing working from home and there are certain places in the city that can only exist on the after work patronage of people spontaneously, but you sure. chose to embrace the convenience of the opposite, which I get, but fundamentally, if, if a hundred thousand people do that, who you are used to be milling around the city center, you can't have a record shop anymore. You can't have nice things or unusual things because you're in the burbs and you're never in the city and people go oh yeah and i went i thought about this within an hour of the or like the first day of this shit happening like oh shit what happens to art creativity like people need to be inconvenienced in order to for it to populate um creative social hubs because if everybody's just in their own convenient little bubble um you know there's no the atoms never fucking meat or whatever does that make any sense yeah i agree i agree and that's sort of again this is why and like this is sort of the the er problem right is like with society in general right is that like as you continue to dismantle and this is part of why i believe so strongly in live music right Mm. is this is my arch thesis thesis of everything are okay. you ready? Okay, I'm in. Okay. Give it to me. I have my United Nations coffee mug. <sighs> there we go. We'll, we'll sing La Domestial after. <laughs> um, basically, the problem with our society is that we continue to devalue community in all facets. Yeah, this right. means offices. This means churches, for better or for worse, right? Yeah, yeah. This I means agree. families, yeah. right? In terms of and not in terms of like divorce or whatever, you know, although know that's mean. a piece, but I mean also in terms of like more than ever, if you went to college and became a liberal and your family vote for Trump, you just have the option to just no longer talk to your family and everyone is like, yeah. that's fine. You yeah. know what I mean? Whereas like I personally believe it's really good that my mechanic cousin who's a Trump guy talks once a year with my European dad. Yeah. You know, who votes that? Like, I think that's good for for both people. 
Of course, <laughs> you know? I completely, completely agree. The and yeah. what consistently happens is that we've eroded those systems, and you know, and we need those systems to not want it, to avoid political polarization. Yeah. We need those systems to like remember that the guy on the other side is a is a person. Of course, right. And if we forget that the guy on the other side is a person, then what the fuck are we doing? Why do you know what I mean? And yeah, and so we've sort of done that, and now we're dealing with the consequences of depersonifying everyone around us. Yeah, I mean, and just living inside these, you know what I mean, self-contained whatever. It's because we're invited. And, we're invited to think of things in only binary terms, which are either good or evil, and that yeah, yeah the middle ground of these things where most people meet uh, traditionally through consensus or through disagreement, and they reach some of them. Most people are nuanced and they're in the middle with these things, but we're taught repeatedly that whoever uh, agrees with you is evil, or you know, a fascist, or a communist, or whatever else, or whatever it's going on, and th that nobody is like, well. It's, it's a byproduct of 10 years of social media derangement, but also the idea that the old media model is so completely dead that um, I often say on the podcast, you know, moderate woman says reasonable thing. Nobody fucking reads that article, even though that might be the best thing you read all day, because that's where most people should reach consensus and sit, you know. But because everything is always about the most extreme um, outliers of every position. And that we're encouraged to believe that the opposite of who we think we or who we've been told we are is the, always the most extreme position. Um, but that doesn't, you know, you can have concerns about migration and vote if I have voted for gay marriage, which is, you know, it's quite common. But we're constantly told that that's that's not possible. And that's I think I don't know if I'm putting more. That's how I look at it. I agree with you completely in that we're we're con we're just pushed into these binary choices. And that's that's because I and think. It's easier for them. It's easier for the whatever you want to call it, the you know technocratic elite to get on with what they're doing. If everybody is tearing strips off each other, because that's classic divide and conquer. And to me, this is the beauty of live music and embracing diverse and interesting lineups. You know, like I know that when Esquela Grind went on tour with Exhumed, right? Esquela Grind, who have you know three LGBT people in the band, who probably of any of the emerging grind bands probably have the biggest like sort of LGBT following specifically trans following because of Chrissy, the guitarist. And I know that that was the most trans people that most of those old school exhumed fans had seen in a room at one time. And that was really good for everyone involved, right? To be, to be able to like cross borders in a way that like wasn't really happening. You know what I mean? And I think, the more you do that, the more you're able to, you know, like live music is able to bring a bunch of different people together in a way that I feel like many other things have been. And live music is also guilty of this to a large extent, obviously. But I think that it's important to have these communal communal things that are sort of divorced from, you know, that have the same effect as church, right? Where it's like it's divorced from your political whatever. You go because, you know, you fucking listen to Iron Maiden. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what you think. You listen, you know what I mean. I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to apply um, the logic of what we're talking about to live music. I see what you mean. I wasn't. That's not what I was talking about at all. But I can. I see your point. Oh, no, I'm just talking about like places for communities to come together. Um, 
I think that the this that well, yeah, okay, that's a sort of practical example in relation to the you know the kind of music that we're involved in. I mean, I think I mean I I suppose what I was what I would consider is that the 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 primary place where this has to happen is within people's own mindset, so to speak, is that if they see the world through this sort of very binary choices, um, the algorithm plays them and forces them into these corners. Um, and sure. so, but yeah, I mean, I, there, there are two different things again, but I can see what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I just think that it's, I think that the only way you're able to fight back against that, fight back against, against someone being lost in a completely different feed and having a completely different set of information from you which is something that you and i have confronted sometimes in our friendship yeah sure. right is i think the only way to really confront that is through conversation mm. and it's really hard to get someone to reach out to someone randomly on the internet it's a lot easier to get them to meet someone at a at a show and be like wow i like iron maiden you like iron maiden let's talk yeah. and uh, then you know what i mean like it's a I lot think- less scary to do that than to be like I'm going to find a conservative on the internet today and talk to them about abortion. Well, I suppose, I suppose if we're going to talk about live music, then we have to to follow on from what you're saying is then people who see themselves as coming from open-minded communities um, need to let go of this instinct towards cancel culture for the things they view as the binary choice that I'm talking about. Um, I think that's a very big problem in metal, you know, the, the supposed... Yeah. The people who uh, supposedly champion diversity don't want diversity of opinion or whatever you want to say. And so there is, there's many contradictions within that statement and that people who would, uh, I mean, support what you just said, and I think that that's fair enough, um, would then point out the contradictions that some of the same kind of people are the same kind of people who would, you know, support cancelling X and Y yeah. That's a separate conversation for another time because we can get into like my very hot takes there, <laughs> um, which are, I think you would appreciate them. We'll talk about we'll talk about that next time I see you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I, I mean, fundamentally, it's what I say to people who, I mean, it's, it's again, it's this sort of modern inculcation to believe that it's your job to save the world. And that um, fundamentally, I think too many people have been inculcated in the idea that, for example, freedom of speech is just a dog whistle or it doesn't matter when it's really one of the grounding, you know, structures of our civilization. Once it's gone, it's gone. And that um, the people who think of themselves as doing good are, in my opinion, often useful idiots for a cause they don't really understand. And the idea also that the, the you know cancelling or who you choose to cancel stops with you and you were the last person to choose is just such a naive reading of oh. the situation you know it's i think i think the I'm, i mean i'm a sort of free speech absolutist which i understand has its problems and there are many but the alternative um is much much grimmer and darker and i think that um not enough people consider that when they're but you know activism is an opiate and seeing as most people don't have hobbies anymore i get it well, and that's that's sort of right. That this is ultimately where uh, political polarization comes on both sides, right? Is that it's it, a set, it, you know, politics are now religion. Yeah, sure. And but, that leads to a lot of issues. But we do have know, to acknowledge. And, we do have to acknowledge that it's mainly one side of the debate that 
is reaching for the cancel culture card. I mean, I I understand that people say that to qualify a statement as going, well, it's both sides. And I go, it is, but I don't see conservatives out trying to cancel uh, shows or whatever else, you know? Yeah, so, because they're doing other separate, horrible, dumb things. <laughs> I mean... You know, like, so everyone's just, like, trying to oppress but, everyone else because it's just religion. That's all it is. Yeah, but sure, if and, we're going to go back to what you were just talking about, which was the live show thing, I mean, you're going back to your mi micro example of a sort of macro discussion. Um, sure. I mean, there's only one side really in the, in the, you know, in that game, at least as I can see. But uh, anyway, sorry, I interrupted you again. I mean, I don't know about that. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that like, if you're using... Do you think black metalers are out there canceling punk rock shows? I don't think so. Um... No, I was gonna. I was gonna stay in the culture field. I didn't have an ah. example to mind. Although okay, I could, I could to... come up with, <laughs> I could come up with a, a music example if you gave me a second. Um, no, go, know, go, like go, go with your other culture example. No, I mean, I'm okay. just, I'm just curious. I was, I was gonna use the example of like conservatives taking out books. Uh, you know, like in Florida right now, you know, a bunch of like classic children's books are being taken out of the schools, right? Because they have woke ideology that's something happening right now that conservatives are doing that are against cancel cultures they're taking out and i'm not talking about what books what books traditionally have woke uh one second there was one i was i just read this this morning but like petit prince yeah. little prince sorry uh that was taken out like a boxcar children book which is like a children's mystery series um that i used to like um what's that from the you know, they took out Jeez. yeah they took out the giver which when you're banning the giver you really got to take a look at yourself yeah i don't i don't know that example i, I was I oh thought, uh it's, it's, the giver it's, it's, it's like a book about living in an authoritarian state uh it's like 1984 but like you can give it to eight-year-olds and they don't get scared but they still like get the big takeaway really? um I'd, I'd have to i mean i don't know the example so i'd have to look uh, at, at I, I mean i don't know if that was like the best what i'm saying is it's it's like it's like my my first anti-authoritarian book whatever um you know the point being like they're like conservatives are taking these books out of schools and i would argue that's dramatically worse than canceling a horna show in denver you know uh regardless of whether of how bad horna may or may not be well you know me, and i and i well, i don't we, think you should be you well, know, I, think, I think people should just have that freedom to choose, but I think whatever, that, I'm just pointing I mean, out. you can you can give that example, but I mean, I think, you know, if we really dig down into it, you could think of many, many more examples from the other side, from cancelling authors or speakers at colleges and all that kind of stuff. I think the, the scales are tipped in a certain direction because I think, um, you know, the the cultural zeitgeist at the moment is i suppose in things like academia or colleges or whatever is is tipping one particular way um and it's the same with shows it's the same with this i mean you know i take your florida example i'm not sure if that's um you know if we look at you know uh, some of the things that are taught in schools i'm i'm not sure that that's it's a, it's an example but i'm not sure it's a example of parity across the entire um thing that we're talking about no we're but, getting, I, but I think you see we're it. getting in the weeds now 
Yeah, we are getting in the weeds, and we have five minutes left, and I have to take a record label out to lunch in a minute here. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know. I think, I, I mean, ultimately, I think the idea is that I think that everybody should, you know, it's, 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 it's being, it's being, uh, we're being invited to think of the other side of every debate as like evil, good or evil. And this binary choice, the simplistic choice, and things are not that simplistic and they're just, you know, they're, people are nuanced and complicated and they can have ideas from different um, reaches. And I think that just this culture war stuff is just obfuscation. It's just divide and conquer yeah. thrown at us by, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, this unnamed elite, whatever you want to call it, you know, that's what I generally tend to look at it. You know, I have some ideas. Well, it's just about divisiveness, right? And the more that you can get divisiveness, the right, because it's like it's like that fundamental sense of rejection that you can force between two parties. You know what I mean? It's just divide and conquer. Yeah, classic divide and conquer. And that's that's I don't know. Whatever. I just, you know, more people need to fucking go home and listen to to black metal records. <laughs> I'll go and see a Horner show in Denmark. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Go to the Horner show, march in the gay pride parade, what a, you know, do it all. Yeah. Learn from everything. Um I don't know. I just I think that uh I think that the more you let your eyes get open, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, and I just think that um, it's just good to try and get out of the ideological bubble because I kind of think about things sometimes as a on a scale of, I, I don't know if I've got three minutes left to try and explain this, uh, one to nine. One being, the, let's say one is far uh, far left, one is nine is far right. Most people are four, five, six. But if the one, two, sure. threes, but if the one, two, threes get to call the four, five, sixes, the seven, eight, nines, they destroy the four, five, six. So you, uh, ultimately... The middle ground is consensus, it's nuance, it's context. And those are the things people aren't interested in because they don't drive clicks or traffic or whatever. So everybody everybody assumes always, as I said, the worst of everyone else's intentions. And that's just not how life is. Most people are not like that, you know? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll, see. we'll have to find out. When the when the fucking AI gets a hold of us and just goes, I think we could just d delete all of you. <laughs> there we go.